You are listening to the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc. If you have your Bibles, open up to 2 Peter chapter 1 this morning. I want to share a message in my heart entitled, Where Faith Thrives. Where Faith Thrives. Several weeks ago, um, me and my wife, we traveled up to North Dakota to, to celebrate the life of her father, my wife's father, who passed on July 2nd. And um, it was a really epic week. I've shared a little bit about that already. Uh, such a you know, mixed emotions to grieve the loss of somebody, but at the same time, celebrate life well lived for Jesus. And that was that celebration of life for sure as thousands of people gathered for his memorial service. Um, But for me and my wife, that couple days with the prayer service and then the memorial service, um, it was such a like walk down memory lane for us of of nostalgia and um, that that's where the spiritual home for us was. And over the period of those, you know, 24 hours or so, you know, we connected with people that we hadn't connected with in some, you know, 20, 25, even 30 years. You know, but people that we grew around, running around, probably annoying at church or whatever, um, people that we walk, we watched walk for Jesus and really paved the way for us, people that we looked up to. Um, but my father-in-law, he had this way of drawing anybody and everybody in his memorial service the couple thousand people that gathered was a testament to that very thing because he gathered, he gathered saints and sinners alike. Many people that didn't know the Lord came to the memorial service just because they, they loved being around my father-in-law, Cal. But at the same time, there were some that who had walked for Jesus for years and yet had turned away from the Lord. And still on his memorial service, they wanted to be a part of it because there was something about Cal's life that they they knew was different, that drew them. There was this Christ-like way about his life that still was attractive, even to those who had turned away from the Lord. And so I walked away from that week just asking the Lord this question, why is it, Lord, that some thrive for you? Like we we saw some that still were just burning red hot for Jesus, white hot for Jesus, Loving him, still inspiring us. Like when we're around him, it's like there's this love for Jesus that's contagious. I'm like, I want to be around that person. And there were others that it was, you know, kind of sad, kind of tragic. They came to the memorial service because there was something about Cal's life that attracted them, but yet they had turned away from the Lord. Like there had been something that had hijacked their faith. And so I began to ask the Lord that question, Lord, why is it some that, why for some do, do, do their faith thrive and why for others does it seem like their, their faith is hijacked? And I would just encourage you as you walk with the Lord, ask him questions. It demonstrates your faith that what you're walking in is truly a relationship. It's not religion. Me and my wife just this week were, were talking about the game changer of prayer as you relate to the Lord. Ask him a question. If, if there's something on your heart that spurs and stirs this childlike curiosity in you, and I promise you, and I say that, not willy-nilly, I promise you, he will answer because he's a good God. 
He may not answer you the way you think he'll answer you, but he will take you on a journey of opening your childlike heart and opening your childlike eyes to see him like you've never seen him before. And so this message is that. It's just a father teaching a son why, some, why for some their faith thrive and why for others their faith does not. I'm not saying it's the, the only way for him to answer this question, but it's, it's one way. He, he opened up my eyes as I was sitting before him in my time with the Lord, just opening up scripture, ministering to my heart as I had, answer, as I had asked this question a few weeks prior. So where th- faith thrives, faith is what opens the door in the kingdom to see Jesus. It's the great equalizer in the kingdom. We live, we live in a in a world where there's a, there's a grand pecking order. But Jesus is the door into this kingdom where faith is the, the great equalizer. The rich and the poor, the great and the powerful, the weak, all come through this door called Jesus into his kingdom. Faith is having the eyes to see Jesus' sufficiency that he truly is the only way to the Father, that there is this thing that rings true about what Jesus says, that he truly is the only way to the Father. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And actually, when you hear it, it hits you like a ton of bricks, that what he is saying is true. That is faith, to have eyes to see that Jesus is the only way. Some can think he's a, he's a great teacher, he's a great historical figure, or a revolutionary political zealot, a great rabbi. But that's different from those that see Jesus as the only way to the Father. If you remember the story that's told in the Gospels of the the 10 lepers that were healed, there was only one that returned to thank Jesus. We all receive everything from the the Father, everything from God, But not everyone recognizes it coming from his hand and come back to actually think. That is salvation, to actually come and recognize Jesus as such, as Savior, as Lord. That one leper that came back, he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. That's faith. That you recognize and bring yourself to the end of yourself and confess Jesus as Lord. I liken faith to the eyes, the, your eyes being opened. When I was 20 years old, I underwent LASIK eye surgery. I had pretty bad eyes all through uh, elementary age, middle school and high school, and when my eyes finally stabilized, I became a candidate for LASIK eye surgery, and I, I mustered up, I saved up my own pennies to, uh, to not get the cheapest surgeon, but to get the best surgeon. And, because uh, if you're gonna entrust somebody with your eyeballs, you know, it's a big deal. <laughs> So I didn't want like a coupon cutout guy. You know, I wanted, I wanted the top. <laughs> Lots of left. He's done this before. And, and I did have quite the experience with my LASIK eye surgery, which I'll tell another time. But, um, but you can think of this picture. Of this is an encounter with the Lord, my LASIK eye surgery. You go under the, the surgeon's hand. That is the grace of God being poured out upon your heart. For your, for your heart to come under the, the, the burning power of the grace of God. After you recover from LASIK eye surgery, you, it's horrible. I mean, your eyes are like burning for 24 hours, but 
when the 24 hours pass, you're able to actually take off the bandages off your eyes. And it's quite miraculous because for years, for whatever, 15 years, I'd lived with blurry vision. When I took the bandages off, it was like everything was clear. 2020. It was like unbelievable. And still to this day, 2020 vision. But that moment of taking the bandages off is the faith that, that confesses Jesus as Lord. He truly is the only way. The grace of God is what is, the, is going under the surgeon's hand. The burning grace of God that softens the human heart and faith takes the bandages off to confess Jesus as Lord. That is faith. Faith is a gift of grace to see the beauty of Jesus and respond. John Newton said that this is faith, a renouncing of everything we are apt to call our own and relying wholly upon the blood, righteousness, and intercession of Jesus. Charles Spurgeon said that faith is the silver thread upon which the pearls of the graces are to be hung. Break that and you've broken the string. The pearls lie scattered on the ground. So my aim this morning is to equip you with a grid work for your faith to thrive so that the pearls of God's grace won't be strewn about on your life. Because the reality is our faith can be hijacked or tainted by disappointment, by betrayal, by pain. No one is exempt from that. And even with the passing of Tanya's dad, my wife and I have had those difficult conversations of the reality that no one is exempt from difficulty in this world. In fact, Jesus promised us that. That's not one of those promises we have hanging in our refrigerators. But he said we will experience difficulties, trials, and tribulations. And it's those things of disappointment, betrayal, pain, trials, and difficulties that oftentimes hijack people's faith so the choice is ours. Will we create an environment for our faith to flourish even in the midst of difficulty? So get ready. Second Peter chapter 1 is going to give you a grid work for creating an environment for your faith to thrive. Second Peter chapter 1. Are you ready to receive? I'm just going to pray over our hearts so we can receive from the word. This is a game changer. If we pray before we read God's word, otherwise we're treating it like just another text, another book on your bookshelf. This is the living word of God, inspired by Holy Spirit himself. It's living and active. If actually in faith, we'll treat it as such, and it penetrates deep into our hearts. So Lord, this morning, we pray that you'd speak to us once again, even as you spoke to me in these prior weeks and ministered to my heart with these, with these truths. I pray you'd do it again right now for every child of God, for every hungry one that's gathered. Would you speak to their hearts? minister to them this morning through your living word. May it be like a two-edged sword, helping them even discern between spirit and soul so that they may say yes to the spirit and say no to the flesh. In your mighty name, King Jesus, amen. So 2 Peter chapter 1, I know we spent months going through 1 Peter. I'm not promising that we'll go through all of 2 Peter, but we're at least gonna go through the first few verses here of 2 Peter chapter 1. It says, Simeon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ. And this is a letter that Peter most likely read, uh, wrote much later. And some question whether it was actually written by Peter or not, but still tradition holds that it was Peter. So hear it from Peter's voice. To those who have obtained a faith 
of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. That is a miraculous statement that Peter would be speaking mostly actually to Gentile believers. And he's speaking about the, equal, the equal, equalizing power of faith. This was one who really struggled to reach across the aisle to the Gentiles. He struggled with the, the breaking down the walls of, of, um, of the, the faith that was a faith of the Jewish people into all the nations. Peter struggled with that. But that's the power of the Holy Spirit to soften a heart, to actually believe and receive the full breadth and depth and width of the gospel of Jesus. So he's saying to these hearers, you have obtained a faith that puts you on equal standing with even Peter, the one of whom Jesus said, you are a rock I'm going to build this church on. One of the, the apostles. We come into equal standing with them by the righteousness of our God and, and Savior, Jesus Christ. It truly is a mystery and a wonder. Verse 2, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. What a prayer. And I pray that upon you this morning, that the grace and peace of God will be multiplied to you so you may grow in the knowledge of God, the knowledge of what Jesus is truly like, what the character and the nature of Jesus is like. Verse three, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. So the Lord has not left you as an orphan. He didn't call you to come and confess him as Lord and he said, well, good luck, figure it out the next number of years or decades on this planet. No, he has equipped you and he's left you with all that you need for both life and godliness. And godliness is not religion. Godliness is this, this actual practical religion, this life that um, has a depth and a substance to it in the Lord. He's granted to you all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. So it's his divine power through the knowledge of him. This is why we take so much time as a church family to worship. Because we actually grow in maturity and grow and encounter this divine power by looking at him. Not by philosophizing and trying to sound all sophisticated and um, lecturing ourselves to death through all the tenets, but, but rather by looking at him. And there is a place for teaching. That's a highly held office within the church to be a teacher. It's a highly regarded, sacred office. But I believe in our modern age, we've supplanted looking at Jesus with a whole lot of talking. We love to fill ourselves with information rather than actual, the actual knowledge of him. Actually looking at him. And it's through that that divine power invades our life and equips us and builds us up for life and godliness. To actually build yourself up by looking at him takes a little bit more time. It's not the microwave method of Christianity that we oftentimes are prone to in the Western church. But rather, it takes some time to slow down our hearts and look at the Lord. Because he's called you to glory and excellence. He's, he's, he's called you to look at his beauty and his excellence. And that's actually 
his will for your life is for you to actually look more and more like his beauty and his glory to be transformed into his image. Verse four, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises. So as you look at him, the promises of God actually become true to your childlike heart. You, be, you actually, be able, actually begin to grab a hold of the promises of God as you look at him. Divine power invades your heart and there's something that rises up within you that grabs a hold of the promises of God. So that through them, get, get ready here, folks. This is powerful. So that through them, you may be, become partakers of the divine nature. Remember what Paul said in 2 Corinthians? Why are you acting like mere humans? That's because the gospel actually gives you an inheritance of divine nature. You actually take on the nature of God. You begin to look more and more like the Lord. So we shouldn't just be mere humans anymore, but rather we live a supernatural life immersed in like a spiritual nature that looks like God. Not to be little gods, but to be like him, to look like him, to reflect his character and his nature. Having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Hallelujah. That is the gospel that rescued us, that transformed us from the corruption, from the kingdom of darkness, transferred us into the kingdom of light. That is the gospel. That is what Jesus accomplished through his cross and through his resurrection by the sending of his spirit. Hopefully you're tracking with me. Is this good? I know I haven't even got to what, what this means then for our th- faith thriving, but we have to make our way uh, through this. Verse five, for this very reason, being since this is your inheritance, all of that, the divine power, the, the now new spiritual nature that is yours in Christ, this is how your faith will thrive over the long haul. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith so that doorway into the kingdom, that doorway into this new life in Christ with what? With virtue. In virtue, with knowledge. And knowledge, with self-control. And self-control, with steadfast. It's like you can envision Peter here building the structure of a house, of an environment. The, the language last night from the alumni gathering was like a greenhouse. The, the students would call uh, one, one student alumni came up, Paige came up and talked about the season of college being like a greenhouse. Well, I don't believe that only our college years have to be that time of real fruitful thriving. I want to create an environment in the local church where we experience that. Not that it can we can relive our, our glory days or relive our college days, but, ra- but rather in an intentional way, create the structure and environment for our faith to thrive, where we are fruitful. And that's what he's describing here. So you can picture him building the building blocks of an environment, of a greenhouse for our faith to thrive. Self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And Peter is using this word of the knowledge of Jesus Christ not to point us, point us towards mere information, 
Because there was a, a common heresy of Peter's day, uh, especially as late as this letter was most likely written, that could be similar to our day and age, where there was this constant groping or desire for uh, some higher revelation, some higher knowledge, some spiritual knowledge other than Jesus. And in our day, there's this constant desire just to accumulate more information. Like how, how many more YouTube videos and Wikipedia articles can we accumulate before we can really step out in faith, before we can really take the Lord at his word? We gotta know that we know that we know, right? And there's this constant desire for knowledge, but he, he's using the, the verbiage of their day to point them to the sufficiency of Jesus. It's actually found in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. There is a vast ocean of, of endless mystery found within Jesus. So look at him. And as you look at him and in increasing way, you will be fruitful. You will be effective in growing in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 9, for whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he's blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. That's, that's, some, that's a verse that we don't, we avoid sometimes. So did he elect us or, or did he not? Well, he chose us before the foundations of the earth. And it's our, it's our responsibility to constantly be responding to that choice that he placed upon our lives. And if you practice these qualities, you will never fail. For in this way, there will be, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities. Though you know them and are established in the truth that you have, I think that it's right, as long as I am in the body, to stir you up by way of reminder. That, that's Christian community, is that we don't move on from the, the, the basics of our faith. And we constantly remind ourselves, that's the essence of discipleship in corporate community, is reminding of ourselves of the, the simple gospel, day after day, week after week, since I know that the putting off my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me, and I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. His desire was for their faith to thrive, regardless of what would come their day, and he knew that difficult days were ahead. If you remember, First Peter was written in the, in the midst of uh, persecution across the Roman Empire, it didn't necessarily get easier for the church than after that. So what was this structure, this environment that Peter, the picture that he painted for them in, this, in these few verses? He made that list to create that environment of what, of what a greenhouse would be, of what, what an environment would be for faith to thrive, to constantly increase in, in fruitfulness and effectiveness. We said, add to your faith virtue. That's an interesting word. What does he mean by that? What does he mean by a virtue? Well, the, the Greek word could also be translated courageous excellence. There has to be this willingness to respond in faith Monday through Saturday, like in the stuff of life. It can't just be you prayed a prayer on a Sunday morning or you prayed a prayer with a friend in a small group or at a coffee shop. There's gonna be a moment where the rubber meets the road. And virtue are here, courageous ex excellence 
is that, is doing something with your faith. It's the moment to step out of the boat. Like Jesus says you can walk on water and now you actually have to, you have to actually do something about it to respond. What does that mean then for your Monday morning? That's the, the first building block is courageous excellence. Then he says knowledge. And again, he's speaking in the context of a growing Gnosticism of his day. So he's not talking about you just perusing the Google machine for more knowledge. He's talking about knowledge of Jesus. Feed your faith and then your courage with knowledge about Jesus. Feed that hunger, and hunger begets hunger. Feed that hunger with the beauty of Jesus. That thing that captured your heart at salvation, never move on from that. As we talked about last night at the alumni gathering, that first love. Live in that place of perpetual first love. So you add to your faith, that childlike faith, that Jesus is sufficient. You add to it first courageous excellence. Actually doing something in response to that faith. Then you add the knowledge, growing knowledge of Jesus over a lifetime. You should grow in love with the Lord more and more till the day you die, you're more in love with him then than ever before. That is the knowledge of God. And you add to that then self-control. Or could easily be self-mastery taking actual responsibility in your life to say yes to the spirit and no to the flesh. There's also a common heresy of Peter's day of making a whole lot of excuses for perpetual sin in people's lives. There'd be this sense that the grace of God was just this, this, this big um, uh, opportunity to do whatever we wanted. It was a license to sin. And Paul addressed that clearly in his letters. But Jesus has called us to self-control, to self-mastery. That's not religion. It's not works. When it's built on the foundation of faith, opened up through the doorway of Jesus himself, and it's coupled with courageous excellence and the knowledge of Jesus, self-control is the beautiful fruit of the Holy Spirit in our lives to hear more clearly the invitation of the Spirit and to hear less often that whisper and that invitation from the flesh. So don't be discouraged just because sometimes you hear the old you calling you back to the old ways of life. You can call it a demon, you can call it the flesh, whatever it is, you know it's not Jesus. And so self-control is this, this wooing invitation from the Holy Spirit it's calling us to say yes to him, say no to the flesh. And you, you build that on the foundation of knowledge and virtue and faith. Saying yes to the spirit, saying no to the flesh. Then he says steadfastness. It could easily be translated patience. But patience is kind of a, like a docile, tame word. He's talking about like a resilient steadfastness to promised difficulty, to actually heed the command of Jesus to take up our cross daily to follow Jesus. 
not every once in a while, not monthly, not weekly, daily, to take up our cross, to take up the, the unpleasant nature of saying yes to Jesus. This is steadfastness doesn't deny our feelings. Steadfastness doesn't deny the difficulty of it. I'm not saying I'm not saying you need to just stuff those feelings of frustration or discouragement or doubt deep into your soul. No, I think there's great strength in community, in corporately going after the Lord. But steadfastness has this resilient, unwavering patience and uh, willingness to take up our cross. This old saint Didymus of Alexandria said this, it is true virtue when a man deeply feels the things he toils against. That's what I'm saying. You don't need to deny the difficulties or doubts or unbeliefs or discouragement of disappointment. That's not what I'm saying. Don't just wish it away. But it's true virtue to actually feel the things you toil against, but nevertheless despise sorrows for the sake of God. So you keep your eyes on the prize. You realize that you have encountered the pearl of great price. You, you've got it. You've found it. You're not going to let anything deter you from it. So you can feel deeply and actually over a lifetime of intimacy with the Lord, you can learn to bring those things to the foot of the cross and in community, people can help you do that. But is that sort of patience also a fruit of the Holy Spirit? Built on the structure of self-control and the knowledge of Jesus and courageous excellence. Your faith is starting to thrive, as Peter said. It's increasing in fruitfulness and effectiveness. And on top of that, godliness like I said before, that, that word can be translated practical religion. Like your, your faith actually means something. It goes in both directions. You haven't become a detached hermit, detached from society of no relevance to the people around you, but rather your faith actually begins to ooze and spill out on the people around you. It actually begins to mean something. So there's this this growing love for the Lord and for others. That is godliness. That is the, the power and godliness that comes through the gospel of Jesus. As we say around here, that's living the message. The message of, of the gospel was never meant to be just a, a, like a doctrinal code or doctrinal statement that we staple on the wall. The message of the gospel was meant to be a living message burning in our hearts that means something for our life Monday through Saturday. And obviously, in our corporate gatherings, these sacred gatherings on Sundays or any time we meet, the message is meant to be lived out. And we don't do it perfectly, but as we walk with the Lord, it will be in an increasing way lived out. And the people around us will not be able to deny the work of Jesus in our life. Then he says brotherly affection. This growing affection to people of all stripes and colors and personalities, which is the body of Christ, the, the eclectic ragtag group of people that call themselves Jesus. Then we don't all look alike. Thank the Lord. You know, we, we don't all have the same interests. We all have different personality types. 
But as you walk with the Lord, you'll begin to see the glimmer of the image of God in a whole different uh, spectrum of people within our church, within within the body of Christ. He's talking about brotherly affections. He's talking about the affection for the body of Christ, the, the affection for brothers and sisters in Christ. I'm not saying that comes naturally. I'm not saying that comes easily. But as you walk with the Lord, you begin to actually slow yourself down to appreciate the image of God in other people and other brothers and sisters in Christ. Intentionally, you do that. If, you, if your heart is growing bitter towards someone, you have a, 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 some resentment or an issue with, with a person, maturity and increasing fruitfulness in your life calls you to slow down and allow the Lord to tenderize your heart, to grow an affection towards that person. And if that's not enough, he says, put on top of brotherly affection, love. This supernatural Agape love, the love of God that you cannot find in this world wherever you look. It only comes from the throne room of God, the love of God, agape. That right there is the environment where our faith thrives. It's not optional. If you do not heed the words of Scripture, I'm saying your faith will most likely veer into the ditch. Most likely, your faith will be shipwrecked if you're not intentional to respond. Respond in the days following a faith encounter with the Lord. I'm going to invite uh, Dr. Jancy forward to the, the keys to, to play. And if you're being baptized in water this morning, you can go right now and, and get ready to get dunked. It's going to be great. My prayer is that every single person that calls this church their home, that their faith would thrive. That you would increase in your fruitfulness and effectiveness over the long haul. That that experience, you know, if we have some big homecoming reunion 30 years from now, similar to what we had a month ago up in our hometown, that it would just be full of testimony after testimony of testimony of people over a lifetime with faith that's thriving in the Lord. You know, this is a time where we're all enjoying the harvest of our gardens. If you've, if you've gardened, you're enjoying the harvest that comes with the labor of love that is gardening. Or for some of us, we just enjoy the harvest from our neighbors or friends or whatever, but... Everyone's got lots of tomatoes right now and corn and and peppers. But those gardens, they thrive because of the environments that we've cultivated, that we've created. It all starts back in May, right? It starts back when you put the seeds in the ground. If you just place the seeds on on the top of some hard, dry, cracked ground, ground that's not super rich in the nutrients, not tilled up, I can promise you in August, you're not going to have a great harvest. Rather, there's this intentionality of tilling up the ground, of adding in the nutrients, of, of having sufficient moisture for something to become beautiful, for, the, for there to be a, a beautiful harvest. And that's 
what Peter was describing here this morning. This has been the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc.